0: Chapter nine of Bindle by Herbert Jenkins This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Recording by Don W. Jenkins Chapter nine The Temperance Fate When Lady Knob Carrick drove round to the fate ground she was surprised to find the gate open and unattended, but was rendered speechless with astonishment at the noise that assailed her ears. At first she thought there had been an accident but in the medley of hoarse shouts and shrill screams she clearly distinguished the sound of laughter. She turned to Miss Isabel Strint, her companion, whom she always persisted in treating as she would not have dared to treat her maid. Miss Strint elevated her eyebrows, and assumed a look that was intended to be purely tentative, capable of being developed into either horror or amusement. "'People say it takes beer to make the lower classes gay,' remarked her ladyship grimly i'm sure they couldn't make more noise if they were intoxicated responded miss strint developing the tentative look into one of amused tolerance strint you're a fool remarked lady Kerrick miss strint subsided lady Kerrick looked round her disapprovingly she was annoyed that no one should be there to welcome her strint see if you can find mr slocum and mr mcfee and tell them i am here then to the footman thomas come with me at that moment dick little came towards the small group how do you do lady carrick he smiled easily delighted to be the first to welcome the lady of the feast may i get you some refreshment you may not was the ungracious response lady knob carrick disliked both little and his well-bred manner she was accustomed to deference and servility she also disapproved of what she conceived to be her daughter ethel's interest in the doctor's son and for that reason had not brought her to the fete with a smile and a lifting of his hat little passed on in the direction of barton bridge just as lady knob Kerrick was preparing to descend from her carriage a girl with a flushed face darted round the canvas screen that had been erected inside the gate a moment after a man followed coatless hatless and flushed he caught her lifted her in his arms and carried her back laughing and screaming Neither had seen the carriage or its occupants, Toole the coachman looked only as a well-trained man-servant can look wouldn't, but Thomas grinned and was withered by his mistress's eye. The man who had pursued and caught the girl was Mr. Marsh, the people's churchwarden, a widower with grown-up daughters, with an air of stern determination. Lady Knob Carrick descended from her carriage and marched boldly round the screen. Never had she beheld such a scene she did not faint, she did not cry out, she grimly stood and watched. Bindle had relinquished his refreshment stall to assume the direction of the revels. All seemed to look to him for inspiration. The dingy cricket cap was to be seen bobbing about everywhere, his grin of enjoyment was all embracing. He it was who set the Morris dancers going and picked them up when they fell. He it was who explained to Miss Slocum, who hitherto had refreshed herself with tea, that their inability to keep an upright position was due to the heat. "'It's to eat, miss, as a wonderful effect. Look at her now,' he indicated to Miss Slocum's horror-stricken gaze the form of Miss McFee, who was sitting on the ground, hat awry, singing quietly to herself. It was Bindle, too, who fetched for Miss Slocum a glass of lemonade, after which she seemed to see more with the others. The maypole dance was in full progress when Lady Knob Kerrick entered the meadow. Youths and girls, men and women, staggered unsteadily round the gaily decorated, scaffold-pole that had been lent by Mr. Ash, the builder. Lady Knob Kerrick distinguished many of her tenants among the fringe of stumbling humanity, and two of her own domestics. The principal object of the men-dancers seemed to be to kiss each girl as she passed, and that of the girls to appear to try to avoid the caress without actually doing so the dance ended prematurely there being none of the dancers any longer capable of preserving an upright position a little to the right of the maypole lady knob kerrick beheld the reverend andrew mcfee who was endeavoring to give a representation of his native sword dance to an enthusiastic group of admirers on his head was a pink sunbonnet round his waist to represent a kilt was tied a girl's jacket his trousers were tucked up above the knee on the ground sat a girl producing by the simple process of holding her nose and tapping her throat strange piercing noises intended to represent the bagpipes in another part of the meadow mr grint the chapel butcher and an elder of irreproachable respectability was endeavoring to instruct a number of girls in the intricacies of a quadrille which as he informed them he had once seen danced in paris it was this exhibition of shameless abandon that decided lady knob kerrick upon immediate action strint she called looking about for her companion strint but miss strint was at that moment the centre of a circle of laughing shouting and shrieking men and women hesitating in her choice of the man she should kiss thomas yes my lady replied thomas his eyes fixed intently upon a group of youths and girls who were performing a species of exalted barn dance fetch saunders and smith tell them to fix the fire hose to the hydrant nearest to the meadow and connect as many lengths as are necessary to reach where i am standing quick the last word was uttered in a tone that caused thomas to wrench his eyes away from the dancers as if he had been caught in the act of some impropriety yes m'lady and he reluctantly left the scene of festivity full of envy and self-pity as thomas disappeared round one side of the canvas screen dr little bustled round the other he had been detained by an important patient who lived ten miles away when his eyes beheld the scene before him he stopped as if he had been shot he looked about in a dazed fashion then he closed his eyes and looked again finally he saw lady knob carrick and turned across to her dear me dear me he fussed whatever does this mean is everybody mad either that or intoxicated doctor i'm not a medical man i've sent for my fire hose there was a note of grim malevolence in lady knob kerrick's voice your fire hose i i I don't understand the doctor removed his panama and mopped his forehead with a large handkerchief you will when it comes was the reply dear me dear me broke out the alarmed doctor but surely you're not-i am interrupted lady knob kerrick i most certainly am it's my meadow dear me i must inquire into this dear me and the doctor trotted off in the direction of the maypole the first object he encountered was the prostrate form of the vicar who lay under the shadow of a refreshment stall breathing heavily the doctor shook him slocum he called slocum the fellow that was the mumbled response make him my curate. go away good god ejaculated the doctor he's drunk they're all drunk what a scandal he sat down beside the vicar trying to think he was stunned eventually he was aroused from his torpor of despair by a carelessly flung coker-nut hitting him sharply on the elbow he looked round quickly to admonish the culprit at that moment he caught sight of the rev andrew mcfee arm in arm with mr wace the vicar's churchwarden singing at the top of their voices who's your lady friend mr mcfee's contribution was limited to a vigorous but toneless drone he was obviously unacquainted with either the melody or the words but was anxious to be convivial he also threw in a rather unsteady sort of dance mr wace himself seemed to know only about two lines of the song and even in this there were gaps the two roisterers were on their backs gasping and choking beneath a deluge of water lady knob kerrick's hose had arrived and in the steady hands of saunders the head gardener seemed likely to bring the temperance fate to a dramatic conclusion a water-spout mumbled mr Wace vacuously water-spout cried mr mcfee it's that red-headed carlin with the hose with a yell of rage he sprang to his feet and dashed at saunders lady knob carrick screamed dr little uttered a plaintive dear me saunders stood as if petrified clinging irresolutely to the hose he was a big man and strong but the terrifying sight of the minister bearing down upon him with murder in his eyes clearly unnerved him releasing his hold of the hose he incontinently bolted for a moment the force of the water caused the hose to rear its head like a snake preparing to strike then after a moment's hesitation it gracefully descended and discharged its full stream in the chest of dr little who sat down upon the grass with a sob of surprise macfie's yell had attracted to him an ever enlarging crowd turn the hose on me he explained thickly me andrew macfie of Auchinlech." suddenly catching sight of the retreating form of lady knob kerrick he yelled it's all her doin', the old sinner with a whoop he sprang after lady knob kerrick who at that moment was disappearing round the canvas screen seeking her carriage the crowd followed and some bethought themselves of the hose lady knob kerrick was just in the act of getting into her carriage when the jet of water from the hose took her in the small of the back and literally washed her into her seat as a moment later it washed her coachman off his the horses reared and plunged but mcfee and bindle rushed to their heads Several men busied themselves with undoing the traces, the frightened animals were freed from the pole, and a cut from the whip, aided by the noise of the crowd, was sufficient to send them clattering down the road. Hitherto Bindle had been by tacit consent the leading spirit, but now the Reverend Andrew McFee assumed the mantle of authority. Ordering the coachman and footman to take their mistress home, he caused the carriage to be drawn into the meadow and placed across the gateway, thus forming a barricade this done he mounted upon the box and harangued the throng Coconuts and the balls used at the shies together with the aunt sally sticks were collected and piled up near the gate and every preparation made to hold the meadow against all comers McFee succeeded in working his hearers into a state of religious frenzy they danced and sang like mad creatures ate and drank all that was left of the provisions and lemonade made bonfires of the stalls and tables in short, turned Lady Knob Carrick's meadow into a very reasonable representation of an inferno. "'There's a-goin' to be trouble over this ere little arternoon's doin's,' murmured Bindle to himself, as he slipped through a hole in the hedge and made his way towards Barton Bridge, whither he had already been preceded by a number of the more pacific spirits. "'The cops'll be ere presently, or I don't know my own mother.' Bindle was right, lady knob kerrick had telephoned to ryford and the police were already on their way in three motor cars at barton bridge they were reinforced by the two local constables and later by the men-servants from the castle when they arrived at the entrance to the meadow they found McPhee leading an extremely out-of-tune rendering of onward christian soldiers immediately he saw the approaching forces of mammon as he called them he climbed down from his post of vantage and secured the hose. The police and the retainers from the castle approached the carriage to remove it, and thus gain entrance to the meadow. Led by the red-faced superintendent from Ryford, they presented an imposing array. Allowing them to approach quite close, McPhee suddenly gave the signal for the water to be turned on. He had taken the precaution to post men at the hydrant to protect it. The superintendent's legs flew up into the air as the jet of water caught him beneath the chin. In a few seconds the attacking party had been hosed into a gasping, choking, and struggling heap. Cokernuts, wooden balls, sticks, bits of chairs, glasses, and crockery rained upon them. The forces of Mammon gathered themselves together and retired in disorder. Andrew McPhee's blood was up. Victory was at hand. In his excitement he committed the tactical blunder of causing the carriage to be removed that he might charge the enemy and complete its discomfiture his followers however had too long been accustomed to regard the police with awe and most of the men fearful of being recognized sneaked through holes in the hedges and made their way home by circuitous routes those who remained together with a number of girls and women fought until they were overpowered and captured and the barton bridge temperance fate came to an inglorious end that same evening, having laden the van with such of the property and tents as had not been utilized for bonfires and missiles, Bindle took his seat on the tailboard, and the van lumbered off in the direction of London. He proceeded to review the events of the day. What particularly diverted him was the recollection of the way in which horses and vehicles had been mixed up. When he had returned to the high street he found there numbers of those who had visited the fete, and were now desirous only of getting home he helped them to harness their horses assuring them that the beasts were theirs if he were asked for a dog-cart he selected the first to hand and then sought out a horse of suitable size and harnessed it to the vehicle if any demur were made or if identification marks were sought he hurried the objector off telling him that he ought to be glad he had got a horse at all bindle was grinning comfortably at the thought of the days it would take to sort out horses and vehicles when he saw in the distance a bicycle being ridden by someone obviously in a hurry as it came nearer he recognized the rider as dick little who peddled up beside the van and tendered a sovereign to bindle no sir bindle remarked shaking his head i'm a bit of a sport myself lord wasn't they drunk he chuckled quietly that young parson chap too no sir i been paid in fun after a somewhat lengthy discussion carried on in whispers so that the driver should not hear bindle suggested that dick little had better come inside the van as if any one were to see him it might result in suspicion yer seem to like a little joke he added well, i can tell yer about some as won't make yer want to cry an hour later when dick little hunched his bicycle from the tail of the van he said well come and see me in london i'm generally in sunday evenings right sir i will replied bindle but might i arse sir what it was that made em so fidgety it was pure alcohol mixed with distilled mead was the reply well it done the trick good-night sir lord won't there be some ed's wantin' olden in the morning and he laughed joyously as the pantechnicon rumbled noisily londonwards chapter nine Read by Don W. Jenkins, Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com.